good. that we'll get we'll get all this uh worked out here uh but um we're gonna start off reading the word of the lord so that it can his word can ready our hearts to uh, to worship him this morning so i'd like to read this morning from psalm 147 the first 11 verses of that psalm it says praise the lord for it is good to sing praises to our god for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to God, to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to be here this morning, Lord, that you have given us grace and mercy to, to be here to worship you today. I thank you for this congregation that has gathered, and I just pray for your blessing upon us now, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to sing your praise this morning as we look to you, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we thank you for this season that we have, Lord, to be reminded of how you uh, made salvation possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And we, we give you the praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us our first song this morning, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation story, hail proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with us is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, 
Come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Go tongue with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pain. Justice now revokes the sentence, mercy calls you, break your chains. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Though an infant now we view him, he shall fill his Father's throne, gather all nations to him every knee shall then bow down come and worship come and worship worship Christ the newborn king all creation join in praising God the Father Spirit Son Evermore your voice is raising to the eternal three in one. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. And you may be seated. Today, we light the shepherd's candle, which symbolizes the joy that the gospel brings to all who hear it. From the high and mighty to the low and lowly, such as the shepherds, we read about this joy in Luke 2, 8-12, and 2, 15-20. In our day, where celebrities, the wealthy, and, and the power are given much attention, what joy it is to know that God is still pleased to reveal himself to the poor in spirit and to those upon whom society does not put its regard. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, let us pray. Dear Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, and just say... um, Thank you for the joy that comes with the gospel, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, for the joy of new life, Lord, and of new hope. <clears throat> Lord, we want to say thank you for everything that you do for us. And, Lord, may our hearts be full of joy as we consider that you have revealed yourself to us, Lord, and we're very thankful. And we're, uh, that the word 
um, of Pastor Greg's uh, sermon today, Lord, that we could just uh, go good. And Lord, we thank you for all the great things that you do for us each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in our worship and sing of those shepherds that we just heard about as we lit the shepherd's candle. While shepherds watch their flocks, I'm going to invite you to stand back up as we sing. sing it's a it's a, a modern worship song that we've sung before it's a, a, a modern hymn that has actually been converted into a christmas version of this song your name as we give praise to the name of the lord to save God with us Emmanuel now we adore your name your name is a strong and mighty tower your name 
is a shelter like no other. Your name. Let the nation sing it louder, for nothing has the power to save but your name. Jesus, in your name we pray. Come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give us strength to live for you and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder. For nothing has the power to save but your name. Wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, your name. Is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder. For nothing has the power to save. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name. Let the nation sing it louder, for nothing has the power to save but your name. You may be seated. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Great to be with you today. Great to be with you today. Well, you know, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you ever feel like you need a little humility? You know, um, you guys are looking sharp, but just before I came up here, I took a drink of hot chocolate and spilled it all over me. I said, oh, man, I need a little humility today. So if you see a bunch of hot chocolates, I don't see nothing still in there a bunch, but anyway, I need a little humility. You know, a few weeks ago, I, um, I had the pleasure of being Joe Canacci, and uh, today I had the pleasure, if you look in the bulletin, I had the pleasure to be Rob Rodney, and uh, t- unfortunately Rob got, was sick and can't be here today, you know, Rob's a hard guy to fill in for, because he's such a talented man, you know, I, um, I certainly uh, respect so much about Rob and um, inspire there, you know, one of the things I like to remind myself of Rob, he's quite a discipler of young adults. You know, he's a coach at uh, the high school, local high schools, and he, um, he does an incredible amount of coaching and discipling of uh, young people in his, uh, at his work and really trains them how to, um, to have customer service and customer friendly. Anyway, I will miss Rob, and so um, I have the pleasure of filling in for him today. Um, you, know, I, um, you know, when you're, um, 
when you're not here, you know, you, I know, you, know, you all travel a little bit, and uh, we had the pleasure the last couple of weeks, we were, we, um, we've been gone, and we uh, were in church Sundays, and we, um, you know, when you've seen one church, you've seen one church, you know, because everyone does things a little different, don't they? And it's uh, really kind of fun to see that, and, um, and um, we were, a, lot, a week ago, we were in an evangelical free church uh, in Salt Lake City, and uh, that was a great body, and uh, they have a school just like we do, and um, uh, I will say that uh, my, my wife uh, kind of gave me a little, a little uh, tap there in the, in the ribs and said, boy, isn't it great we have such a great teaching pastor? This is sort of a little monotone here. It's a little bit, uh, so anyway, we, but, but that's the other good thing about being gone. You say, wow, we got a great pastor there. we got a good teaching pastor. So we had the, had the pleasure, but it's always great to be here. We love being here. And um, so a few, uh, few things I want to review with you. Uh, for today, um, uh, might be in your might be in your bulletin as well. One is uh, we have family business meeting today at eleven, so today is an important uh, important day in the life of the church. We uh, approve our annual budget and we approve uh, um, people to serve. Uh, we vote on people to serve on different committees and boards. So, uh, eleven o'clock, you're all welcome. Members and non-members are welcome to see you. the business of the church. The uh, Missionary of the Month is the Wisners. I want to remind you of that. There's a card you can get back in the missionary corner, uh, a prayer card that uh, talks about the Wisners. And uh, if you want to give a designated gift to the Wisners for this month, uh, just put it on your, you can put Wisners or you can put M-O-M, Missionary of the Month, if you want to, on, the, on your envelope. Um, next week, we have our Christmas celebration. Remember, that's going to be at 10 a.m., not our normal, not, not 9, it's going to be at 10 a.m., remember that. Uh, so that's the Christmas um, celebration next week. Uh, the, uh, you can see in the bulletin uh, that the, there's a teacher appreciation that our youth are doing for their teachers at Las Plumas High, and um, that's a great idea, and it's a good, good of them to do that. There's some needs there, I believe, that um, they have to help uh, complete that um, that. Um, that goal they have there, and so I think uh, there's some, maybe some designated giving that you would uh, appreciate if you want to put that in an envelope um, and help out with some of that, uh, those needs uh, for the teacher appreciation. We are taking a survey, um, discipleship hour survey, and uh, see, were those out the back? Or are they, they're in the bulletin, they're in the bulletin, and so you can fill those, fill those out, and um, we'd love to hear your ideas about what you'd like to hear during discipleship hour the 11 o'clock hour, and uh, any of the elders or any uh, pastors will collect those at the office. You can drop them by the office. Um, it sure was wonderful to see that Amy White, Amy White is uh, doing some leadership of our of our fellowship hour. Uh, we certainly uh, love our fellowship hour, and uh, the, the great, um, great coffee and the great fellowship, uh, but if you would like to help Amy White's going to be your person, and thank you, Amy White. I don't know if I see you out there right now, Amy White, but there you are. Amy White's right back there. Thank you, Amy, for that. Appreciate that. New members class in January, um, three-week course, January 9th, 16th, and 23rd. That would be for those that want to know something about our church, uh, are maybe interested in membership and not sure, those that want to be members, or those that want to brush up on some of our history of our church. Um, we'll cover... Um, the history of the denomination, the history of this church, and our, uh, our, our unique statement of faith. Offering, offering boxes in the back, and uh, if you want to designate anything, put it on the envelope. <coughs> well, uh, 
right, so good to, uh, good to be together. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's um, read God's great word, his, uh, his uh, perfect word, and the word that guides us in our life. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's, um, let's read Psalm 119, 113, excuse me, 113. And I, um, I like to do this responsibly, so I'll read a verse, and then uh, you as a congregation, if you would um, read, uh, uh, read the verse. Uh, so we'll alternate verses. So um, hear the word, hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Who, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He gives a barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. May God bless his word, and um, thank you for it. <clears throat> so um, let's, um, let's go to prayer. And, you know, I, um, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but, but sometimes come to the, this prayer time and um, you listen to a, a man up in front praying and, and uh, but you know, this is a time for us all to pray. This is a time for us all to lift up prayers. This is a time for us all to be joining together. And um, I, uh, as I pray, um, I'll plan to have a little bit of um, silent prayer in there. So, because I, I really want you all to be praying during this time. This is a time for us to join together in prayer. So I will direct some of it, but I will have some silence. And um, during that time, you silently pray to God where you're at. Uh, so um, uh, join me. Join me in prayer. Father, we, um, we praise your name. Lord, we can't stop praising you enough. Forgive us when we don't praise you every day, all day long. Dear God, you are an amazing God. We glorify you. We bless you. Dear God, in, our, in, our, uh, in the silence of our hearts, we praise your name. Father, we want to remember that we have a need for a Savior. Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, praise your name. You sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for sins, my sins, our sins. Lord, we confess our sins to you. Lord, there is so much we should be thankful for. Lord, forgive us when we think it is by our power and by our might that we have made what we have and we have gained what we have. May we always thank you. Lord, we thank you for our family, our spouse, our children, our, our homes, our work. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings to us. Lord, there are many prayers uh, that we want to... Um, that we need to be bringing to you. Lord, we pray that um, we might be faithful to pray for our country, the leaders of our country, 
of our state, of our local government. We pray they may turn to you uh, to seek your help, to acknowledge you, to, um, to uh, follow your ways. Lord, we have, uh, in, this, in this country, in our lifetime, we have experienced um, uh, a church that has not been persecuted uh, uh, as much as in other areas of the world. Um, Lord, we pray for those churches that uh, in the world that are persecuted, China, North Korea, especially Iran, Iraq, many other places, Lord. We pray for those who may give them strength and courage May give them joy in their service. May they love those that are persecuting them. Lord, we have a congregation meeting today. We want to do your business. We want to glorify you and the way we run this church. Dear God, uh, help us to uh, help us today. Dear God, help us in the congregation meeting. Lord, we pray for those we love that cannot be here today. Pray for um, those that we know that are ill, that are discouraged, that are hospitalized, that are homebound. Dear God, um, we uh, pray that uh, you would comfort them, and uh, if it be your will, you would heal them. Lord, we pray for your offerings that have been received today, that they would m- may go to serving uh towards your glory uh, at this church. Lord, we pray for our sermon today, that we might uh, hear your word taught. Lord, we pray for change. We pray for change in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you might change us to increase our capacity of love, that we might um, be more like you in our attitudes and actions. Lord, change us. And um, Lord, we pray these things now in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I think that the uh, children um, can be dismissed uh, if, um, if they'd like. It's certainly, uh, we'll miss you, going to miss you guys. Bye, Michael. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss you there, man. Okay, so, um, and uh, as, um, uh, and we have a special, we have a men coming forward right now, and they're going to, or we're going to uh, have a special song for you. Um, it's been great singing with these guys. These are, these are great men. And we have had a chance to be together. And Carrie, thank you for your leadership of this uh, this group here. Um, you know, I have heard it said. I have heard it said that the that the um, that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for believers in the church to do nothing. We need to remind ourselves that godly values and Christian morals will bless our world and our country. And that God will use the church to prevail over evil. We, the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, need to stand up and rise to meet this challenge. Uh, we have a song today of challenge. And we hope um, and pray that you will be blessed by this, this song. And that you will um, rise to the occasion. So, um, so thank you very much. Um,
we've sat silent for too long, while the darkness ever strong casts a shadow on this land. But we're the children of the light. We have hope that's burning bright. We weren't made to cower. We were made to stand. Let the church arise. Let us stand for what is holy. Let us stand for what is right and live our lives as a beacon in the night. No, we will not compromise. Let the church, let the church arise. All the trouble in these times doesn't. To bear his name, be bold and unashamed, and with expectation answer when he calls. Let the church arise. Let us stand for what is holy. Let us stand for what is right and live our lives as a beacon in the night. No, we will not compromise. Let the church, let the church arise, arise. These are days for the church to be who Christ has made the church to be. Let the Stand for what is holy, let us stand for what is right, and live our lives as a beacon in the night. No, we will not compromise. Let the church, let the church, let the church Well, good morning. Let the church arise. You know, I, I'm biased, but I love to hear men sing. And when I hear men praising Jesus, it just... It stirs me inside in a way like few other things do. And so it reminds me of 
back in the days when I would go to these large promise keeper gatherings and hear thousands of men praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, we need more. As, as, as men go, so goes the church. And so let's be praying for a, a strong men's ministry to arise in our midst. A few weeks ago, I challenged all of us to think of two or three, I believe we have the wrong slideshow up. So before we get, I get too far into it, let's uh, see if we can find the one for Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. I challenge you at the beginning of our series to think of two or three people that you would pray for during this time who need to hear about Christ. Of course, that's the purpose of the Advent season. It's the purpose of why Christ came. He came into a world of darkness and shone his light so that we might have eternal life. And so we, we're grateful and we're thankful for the opportunity to proclaim him. And this week is a, is a pivotal week in the life of our community because we have two concerts, three actually, that the school is going to be putting on. And, and so we want to be praying because we have a lot of people in our school, uh, Orville Christian School, who come from unchurched families. And so this is a unique opportunity for them to come and hear their kids sing and as a result hear the gospel. And so let's be praying this week for the hundreds of people that will come and visit us this week and hear the gospel as their kids sing the Christmas story. And then, of course, next Sunday as we gather in this place at 10 a.m. for our Christmas gathering, those two or three people that you've been praying for, if it's at all possible, bring them next week. And let's fill this place with not only the praises of our God, but as he ministers to people both far and near as they come and gather with us. Well, an illustration that I came across in my studies this week gives a glimpse of how the message of Christmas shines into the darkness, offering hope in a world of despair. On the wall of the museum, uh, the concentration camp at Dachau, is a large and moving photograph of a mother and her little girl standing in line in a gas chamber. And the child who is walking in front of her mother does not know what is about to come. The mother who is walking behind her, however, does, but she's helpless to stop the tragedy. So in her helplessness, she performs the only act of love left to her. She places her hands over her child's eyes so she will not see the horror that is to come. And when people come into the museum, according to those that observe what happens there, the people do not hurriedly rush by this photo, but they often pause, almost as if they can feel the pain themselves, as if deep inside they're whispering a quiet prayer, Oh God, don't let that be all there is. The message of Christmas is that God intrudes upon the weak and the vulnerable, and that is precisely the message that we miss so often. God does not come to that part of us that swaggers through life, confident in our self-sufficiency. God leaves his treasure in the broken, fragmented pieces of our lives. He comes to us in those rare moments when we are able to transcend our own selfishness just long enough to actually care about another human being. And God hears those prayers of torment and of crying out for mercy. 
in those situations of hopelessness and helplessness. And if we think of the world as it was that Christ entered into, it was a world of great darkness and of great helplessness and hopelessness. And God looked upon it and wanted it to change and knew that it would change and knew how it would change as he sent his son into the world. I don't think I need to tell you that we are surrounded by a lot of people who feel hopeless and helpless. And we have the message that they need to hear. And we know the one who can make the difference. And we know the one who can touch eternity because he came out of eternity, stepping out of eternity into space and time to walk with us for 30 plus years that he might bring us to God. And that is what we celebrate. And so as we continue in our Advent series, which we began a few weeks ago, Christmas praises. We want to look at those shouts of praise, those demonstrations of worship that happen all around the, the Christmas narrative as we hear the, what flows off the lips of the main characters of the story. God is wise, God is all wise, and God is sovereign. And he has arranged the characters and he has arranged the events so that the coming of the Messiah into the world would come at just the right time in the fullness of time, and would shine his light into a world oh so full of darkness. So as we ponder anew what the Almighty can do, may the good news of Christmas challenge us and humble us as we consider the greatness of God, who humbled himself to come and live among us. Well, last week we looked at the example of Zechariah and saw how this priest learned to declare and rejoice in the promise of God who had promised a redeemer and to his great surprise as a priest whose wife was barren, that he would be the one who would sire a son, who would announce the coming of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, that light was now shining in the darkness and that peace was now available to all who would believe the promise of God. Well, today we will look at Mary. And the special heavenly visit that we think about that she received from an angel occurred in between, as it were. In between when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple announcing that Zechariah would soon be a father, his barren wife would soon be a mother. And this appearance to Mary occurred between that event and the actual arrival of the son that we would know as John the Baptist. God is working to interweave the different characters, the different events to show that his promise, his plan, his purpose would be accomplished for his glory and be good news for those he came to save. Well, once again, as we prepare to spend some time in God's word, I invite you to stand for the reading of our text this morning as we read out of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46 down to verse 56. And the truthful and lovely word of God says... And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, Father, as once again we turn to your word, we recognize our great need for you to be our teacher. And so in these moments, would you cause our attention and our focus and the desires of our hearts and the thoughts of our minds to be turned to you and the beauty of your word, that we may encounter you afresh through this inspired word, that we would walk out of this place this morning knowing that we had met with you, the living God, and you have spoken to us. And as a result, we will leave not the same way we came, but further transformed into the image of Christ because we've spent time in your presence. So, Father, may it be as you take control of these moments for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you follow along in your sermon outline now, we get to our first point, which is great is my Savior. But before we get to the praises of Mary that she offers to the Lord, before we get to that this morning, let's summarize a little bit what has happened to her before we arrive here in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Of course, we know much about the story already, and so it's, it's, it's good for us to summarize and to remember because it should continually be fresh in our minds of just the wonder that is behind the whole Christmas story. This young lady, probably no more than a teenager, Suddenly, the angel of the Lord, Gabriel by name, appears to her with astonishing news. And because he, he is mighty in his nature, coming as he did from the presence of God, he has to first assure and reassure this young lady that he has come in peace. Greetings, he says, you have found favor with God. This is an amazing greeting, and she has to follow it up by saying, do not be afraid. Oftentimes when people encounter angelic beings, they have to be reminded to not be afraid because those angelic beings come from the presence of God as it were overshadowed with the glory and power of God. But Gabriel will share with her news that will not only change the trajectory of her life, but indeed all of human history. For the angel said, Mary, you're going to become pregnant and you will bear a child and you will call him Jesus. And this will not be any ordinary son. It will be one who will sit on the throne of his father, David, and rule over the people of God forever. In contrast to earthly kings, you will have a son who will reign in a kingdom that shall never end. And so this young girl is, she's struck by the nature of this news, and she asks the obvious problem, the obvious question, how? How will this be since I'm a virgin, she said. She's young and poor and maybe not all that experienced in life, but she's no fool. She knows all about the process of conception and birth, and she's done nothing to put herself in that situation. And so in words that reverberate down through history, Gabriel makes an amazing statement to her and says, God's got you covered. And there's a play on words there, of course, because it says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And the Holy Spirit will produce this child in your womb, and this will be a miracle. And that is why the son that you will bear will be called the son of God. 
And what's interesting about that word foreshadowing is that in the Greek translation of the, New, of the Old Testament, it's the exact same word that's used to talk about the Spirit of God who overshadows or hovers over the waters in creation. And out of the, the darkness and the formlessness of creation, the Holy Spirit brings about life because He is the Lord, the giver of life. And here is the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary to bring life to her womb. And so Mary, she's young in age, but she shows a great deal of understanding. She's surely aware that obedience to this command of God, responding would come at a cost, a cost to her, to her family. After all, it's not normal for young teenage girls to be pregnant without the husband being involved or even being in the picture at that point. She knew it would cause anguish to her betrothed, Joseph, and we see that that's the case in Matthew chapter 1, where it would require another appearance of an angel to appear to Joseph and say, the Lord is in this, to take this young woman to be your wife. And so she's calmed by the angel's presence, and then she utters these words of great promise and faith in God. She said, I am the servant, literally the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This young handmaiden shows us a great example of faith in God. And so sometimes after she has had this miraculous encounter with Gabriel, she goes to Elizabeth, her relative, who is also with child. And of course, we know because we've already read this story and we've studied it that this is Elizabeth who is with child with John the Baptist. And as these two mothers encounter each other, and Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, the child within her womb leaps for joy. It's a beautiful moment. And you know what? I appreciate the humility that Elizabeth shows in this encounter. She'd been the wife of a priest, and she'd been barren for many years, having to bear the social stain, the sense of being an outcast because she had not been able to bear children. And she could, perhaps would have wanted the attention to be drawn to her. But in this encounter she has with this young Mary, many years her younger, she shows joy and respect, even saying, referring to Mary as the mother of my Lord. And so this exchange, statement of faith, it shows a number of things, but among other things, it shows the full humanity of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ in the wombs of their mothers. The fact that, that by under the power of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist could actually have a response. And of course, that is something that can only happen because it would be years later that the Apostle Paul would let us all know that we can only call Jesus Lord under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Elizabeth, in a sense, speaks better than she knows, but she knows just enough says, this is the mother of my Lord. And Elizabeth tells Mary that she is to be blessed among women and blessed is the fruit of the womb. And interesting thing about that phrase is every time it's used in the scriptures, every time there's a reference to unborn children in the Bible, it is always in the context of it is a blessing of God. And that is why we're pro-life. Because we affirm the full humanity of the unborn child from the moment of conception all the way to the point of natural death. 
And if all the fruit of the womb is blessed, which it is, how much more than the fruit of this womb which would contain the Son of God who became man in order to reconcile man and God. So that's the backstory of what is happening as we get to verse 46. But let's take a, a little bit of an excursus and affirm what do we believe about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Because in the history of the church, there have been a number of wrong teachings that have arisen about Mary. And in fact, I was raised in a tradition that wanted to elevate Mary, almost to the point of elevating Mary above anyone else, and that Mary was the first one you would go to. Because after all, if you want to get to the son, you go to the mother. That was the reasoning. But we need to affirm that Mary is not the mother of God. God is eternal. God is without beginning or end. But Mary is the mother of Jesus. Mary was a normal human being who was neither perfect in her life nor the result of an immaculate conception. Now, there are some that thought that the immaculate conception referred to the birth of Jesus, but no, in certain dogmas, it refers to the conception of Mary. As if somehow Mary herself, in order to be worthy to bear the Son of God, must have been sinless herself. And because she was sinless, she was able to rise to heaven directly bodily without passing through death. And I say no. And we'll be able to see why in this passage. Mary lived a normal human life. She was a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice and was in need of a savior. And she passed through normal human death like everyone else. And like all believers, she awaits the resurrection of the body. And she is not today the queen of heaven as a co-redemptrix working with her son to bring about the salvation of sinners. And there are people in our community that believe that. And we must be ready to give them a response. She is not. She is not a co-redemptrix. She is a woman in need of a redeemer herself. And so we need to reject these false ideas that have risen neither from the scriptures, neither from church history, but from the philosophical machinations of men. But she is described as blessed. And we are to call her blessed. And she is blessed for the role that she plays in the salvation of sinners. Not because she is involved in saving them, but because she was uniquely chosen by God to be the one who would give birth to the Savior of mankind. She is described as blessed because she is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. And so for a second time, she is referred to as blessed in this encounter. And she is blessed because she believed the Lord. And yet there's something that's true about that blessing that's true of all believers. If we believe the word of the Lord, if we take God at his word, believe his promises, he will bless us. And indeed, we can be called blessed. And so I can stand here this morning as an evangelical pastor and say, I love Mary. She is my sister in the Lord. We are fellow sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the child that she bore. 
and we will stand around the throne of grace one day, giving great glory and honor to her Lord Jesus Christ and mine and yours if you know Christ. And so we can call her blessed because she had a special role to play, chosen by God, but not chosen by her. And so great is my Savior is our first major point because Mary responds to that and says, my whole being praises him. And so our text begins by saying, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So Mary is contemplating these things and she must praise God. She shows humble reflection on what God is doing. God is treating her. And, and, and some would say, well, there's a similarity between this song of Mary and the song of Hannah, who was given a son, Samuel. And there are some similarities, but there are major differences as well. Hannah had a shout of victory over her enemies when she gave praise for her son. Here, Mary just offers a humble prayer of gratitude to the mercy of God. And I would say if we want to look for similarities between what Mary is saying here, we need to look to the Psalms. Because all throughout her prayer, her shout of praise, she repeats phrases that are known in the Psalms, such as Psalm 2 and 22, 25, 44, 71, 89, 98, 103, 147. She makes references to Abraham and the prophets, so she has an understanding of how God has been working through her people. She's aware of God and his promises. She serves as an example of one who believes the word of God. That when God speaks, he will keep his promises. Now the name of this prayer in church history is referred to as the Magnificat. And it's named from the first word in the Latin translation of this verse, which is Magnificat anima mea dominum. Literally, magnifies the soul of me, the Lord. So it's justly translated here because that's how we say it in English. My soul magnifies the Lord. And the, the Greek word then is megalunai. You might hear the word mega, meaning to make great, to make large. And in the original language here, as we look at my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, I think we have what's called a Semitic parallelism and oftentimes in poetic language which is what hebrew is what aramaic is what arabic is and certainly mary would have known of hebrew and aramaic those would have been native to her that oftentimes in a semitic parallelism what is said in the second part of the verse repeats what's in the first part just using different words and the reason why I mention that is over the course of church history, there's this long discussion about is there a difference between the spirit and the soul of a man? And the fact remains is that all throughout the scriptures, these words are used interchangeably. There are things that are said about the spirit in one place, but the same things are said about the soul in another place. And so often it just has to deal with this immaterial part of man, the, the, the part that is able to engage in personal relationships that is the life source, as it were, of a person. She's just saying, my body, my whole being, all that I am is praising the Lord. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. If it's from the word megalunai, which it is, it means to make bigger or larger. And so that should be our goal, to make God 
bigger and larger. Not that we can increase the size of God. He's an omnipotent being. He's an eternal being. He can neither grow nor change nor adapt. He is. His name is Yahweh. I'm the living one. I am. But we can have a greater awareness of him in our lives. We can magnify him in all the circumstances of our lives. We can cause our attention to be focused on him in all the things in our lives. So she rejoices, she magnifies, and she makes an amazing confession of faith. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What an amazing situation Mary finds herself in. She will give birth to the one who will save God's people from their sins. As a recent well-known Christmas hymn puts it, Mary, did you know that this child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Mary knows she needs a Savior. She knows who she is before a holy God in need of a Redeemer, in need of forgiveness. She never claims special status for herself anywhere in the Scriptures. But men often try to give her a special status. And Mary would refuse those emphases. Because what does she do here? She expresses her joy that salvation and redemption is coming. She expresses joy that her salvation and redemption is coming. Because she has an understanding then that his name will be Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, including her. And so we rejoice with Mary that the Savior has come. We rejoice with her that redemption will appear. We rejoice with her that Jesus should be lifted high and exalted in our lives. So she says, my whole being praises him. And then she says, I've gone from being humble to being blessed. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For, beyond, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And I, I'm, I'm really impressed that this young woman would know the word of God so well. It shows up again and again that she understands the promises from the word in this prayer. What's amazing about that is she never had a copy of God's word in her hands. She would have to go to the synagogue. She'd have to go to the temple. She would have to hear it be read and taught to her, and she would have to memorize it. And I thought of myself, and I thought, okay, how, how much of Scripture could I reproduce if I didn't have the Bible in front of me? How many of the promises of God have I hidden in my heart? How many of his words have I memorized? Do I know the verses and chapters and promises of God that if I go blind and you take away the Bible, I would still speak Bibleese like Mary does here. And so as we, we stand on the precipice of 2022, my friends, make it a year of the Bible for you. That if it ever happened that the Bible was taken away from you, the physical Bible, the Bible still lives within your heart because you've hidden the word in your heart. Because you've understood the promises like we see Mary doing here. We can learn from this example of this young handmaiden of the Lord. And she affirms again and again that she is the servant of God. The Greek word is doulos. It's translated elsewhere as slave. Mary recognizes her position before God, makes no presumptions upon the mercy of God. She's blessed because God chose her. She's blessed because she believed God 
She's blessed because she humbled herself that God might exalt her, and it would be her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come later in his earthly ministry and say that God exalts the humble, but humbles the exalted. From now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed. But why will they do so? We need to be clear on this. The tradition that I was raised in said, well, it's because she was special, because she was blessed, God chose her for a special role. It's exactly the opposite. It's because God chose her that she is special and blessed. We must always speak in our theology where God is the one who is at the center of everything. She was blessed and she was chosen by God to, be the, to bear the Son of God, and that is why she is blessed. And so let's think of the other examples in the Scriptures then, because Mary is just like them. Abraham was blessed to be called the friend of God, but it wasn't because of him, it was because of the mercy of God. John the Baptist was blessed because he was chosen to be the forerunner of the Lord. Paul was blessed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was blessed to be the apostle to the Jews. But none of them said it was because of what was inherent in them. It was all because of the goodness and grace of God. And so Mary is not to be worshipped or venerated or prayed to. We, God will not have any equal. There is no equal to him. And the first and greatest commandment is what? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. There is nothing that should be elevated to the place of God. So Mary praises God because great is her Savior. Secondly, she says great are his acts. And now the field of vision seems to, seems to grow here until now Mary, in a sense, has been overwhelmed by God's goodness to her, God's mercy to her. But now she, she broadens it a little bit and recognizes that his goodness and strength ultimately extends to all. And therefore the blessings that we receive from God are not to be kept and hoarded, but to be shared with those that are around us. And so in these next set of verses, we're going to see Mary focusing on a couple of things. The power of God the holiness of God, and the mercy of God. First, she says, he is mighty in his acts. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Think of her lowly estate and what God has done. What's interesting here, I'm going to bend your mind a little bit this morning. Not because... I want to, but because I think the text requires it. We have here in the Greek what's called an aorist. And an aorist generally is translated as a simple past. He has done. Okay? He has done. But there are many times in the scriptures, and, and this is where English and Hebrew and English and Greek are not exact parallels in how they deal with grammar. Because in the Greek language, you can have what's called an aorist in the prophetic sense. And what that means is that something can be declared as having happened, but the impact is not yet here. Or in fact, it hasn't actually happened yet, but it's so sure that it's going to happen that it's stated as if it has already happened. Are you with me? It'll state it as he has done. 
But what she really recognizes, Jesus has come and there are things yet to come. Now, does this idea find itself anywhere else in Scripture? And I'll say yes. In Romans chapter 8, what we call the golden chain of redemption. There's an unbroken chain of events from eternity past to eternity future in the mind of God concerning those that he will save. Okay? And in those passages, it's up on the screen, you can look at it. God talks about those he foreknew, which means those he loved ahead of time. This foreknowledge is not just knowing about facts, it's knowing people. That God loved us before we actually existed in space and time. And those that he loved, he predestined. It's not a word we like to talk about in church. Unfortunately, it shows up all over the New Testament, so we've got to deal with it. He predestined. Those that he loved ahead of time, he predestined, and he called, and he justified, and he glorified. Okay, that's the chain of redemption in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. And every one of those is listed in the aorist tense, the past tense, simple past. But, of course, in our own experience, we don't experience them all in the distant past. We experience them in space and time. So we experience the love of God in our lives in space and time, the calling of God to come to Christ in space and time, the fact that we have been justified in space and time. But we're not yet glorified. That's coming in the future as far as we're concerned. And yet God says we are glorified simple past but it's got a prophetic sense to it because in the mind of god it is so sure that it is going to happen that it it's almost as if it's already happened and in the eternal mind of god which is outside of space and time everything is an eternal now anyway so he knows what he's going to do and it's as if it's already happened and it's the same type of verb we have here in luke chapter one And so when Mary says he has done great things for me, it's true. He has done great things for her. We know that God is doing great things today and God will do great things in the future. But the context is what? I'm going to give birth to the Messiah who will save his people from their sins, bring in the promises of God. The Lord has done great things for me. You see it? You have to bend a little bit to see how the language works. And that's why it's, it's such a privilege to study God's word. In the mind of God, if he has promised to do something, it is as if it has already happened. Mighty is his acts, and holy is his name. Verse 49. The name of the Lord is holy. We talked about last week the two meanings of holiness. That means to be set apart. So initially, that's what it means. God's name is holy. It is set apart. God has no equal. He has nothing that compares to him in all of creation. And to say that God's name is holy means exactly that. He has no equal. His name is holy. He is incomparable in that sense by his name being holy. But he's also holy in all that he does in his nature and his character. And so his his acts must be holy acts. His words must be holy words. His commands must be holy commands. Holy is his name, set apart, unique, worthy of all the worship that we can muster. And even then, it's still not enough that's worthy of his name. But here's our application for us today. We bear his name. We are his children. 
Christians, the children of God. And so when God commands us to be holy as he is holy, it bears weight on us. And we have to recognize we are set apart for his purposes and we are to become more like him in our actual behavior, our actual words, our actual thoughts. Because holy is his name. But everlasting is his mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And the word here for mercy translates the Hebrew word chesed. There it is again, that word that comes up every week, it seems. Why? Because God's covenant love and mercy for his people is everywhere in the scriptures. Because of his covenantal love for us, he is merciful. But this is not a universal promise. Do you see the condition here? His mercy is for those who fear him, for those who reverence him, for those who are in awe of him, for those who respect his words and live them out, for those who follow his commands, for those who walk according to his ways. For them, his mercy is everlasting. It's for his children those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I see this verse, his mercy is for those who fear him. There's many passages that come to mind, but we might think of Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. This reverential awe that we're to have for God. Or how about Psalm 25? Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will the Lord instruct in the way he should choose. See this consistency that those who fear the Lord experience the mercy of God, the guidance of God, the hesed, covenantal love of God. As the great commentator Matthew Henry says, those that fear God as their creator and judge are encouraged to hope for mercy in him through their mediator and advocate, Jesus. And notice that this covenant love goes from generation to generation. His faithfulness, his mercy continue forever. He shows mercy to all who fear him. Which means, my friends, we don't need to be afraid today. Our brothers just sang so beautifully. There's no need to compromise. Because his faithfulness and mercy endure forever. And as we fear him, we will experience that Mercy and that faithfulness and that grace and that joy. So stand firm. Is that a true statement of your life? Day by day by day. Do you stand firm in the reverential awe of God? Or do you still fear people more than you fear their creator? Great are his acts, Mary proclaims. And he is great in his power. And over these next few verses, we we see a great reversal, as it were, that can only happen in God. Where the proud and the rich are overturned in favor of the humbled and the poor. The mightiest of men no longer have the last word. God does. For we are told that he scatters the proud. Just think of the language. He scatters the proud. The text tells us he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of his heart. Now, 
We do not confess that God has body parts. He is a spiritual being. So when we talk of the eyes of the Lord and the arms of the Lord and the might of the Lord, it's to help us understand the idea of what God is doing. And here it's the, the, the arm is a symbol of his strength, symbol of his might. Think of Psalm 44. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. The fear of the Lord is what brings about deliverance. Think of the many times as you read through the Old Testament scriptures where we hear something along the lines of, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he redeemed his people. That's what's behind here. Showing of his strength, he scatters the proud of heart. Think of, think of history. He took down Pharaoh and the Egyptians in the Red Sea. He destroyed the Assyrians with the angel of the Lord. He overthrew the Babylonians by bringing in the Persians. And then he overthrew the Persians by bringing in the Greeks. He rained down fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He's able to scatter the proud, the proud of heart. And there's a reason why we need to watch over the heart, why we are called to love the Lord our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all that we are, because the heart is the fount and the center of life. And yet it is in the heart that pride often hides. But yet it can't be hidden from God. Whether it shows up in our outward behavior, whether it shows up in our words, or whether it's just in the thoughts of our minds, God sees it all. The Word of God helps us. When we come face to face with, you know the type, those that think they're just really something. But God sees their hearts. He's able to bring down quickly the plans of men, the thoughts of the so-called wise, the pretensions of the self-declared mighty. Think of the Pharisees who presented themselves as spiritual and as wise, but God revealed their true nature. So how can we pray for those that are proud in heart? Because first of all, we should. So think about this. If a man's greatest need is forgiveness of sins, which it is, to get right with God. And the greatest sin for most human beings is some type of manifestation of pride, self-worship. Then the greatest prayer that we can pray on their behalf is, Lord, lead them to repentance. And so often in my ministry, as the Lord has guided me over these past 35 years, I've prayed something like this. Oh, Lord, turn them or turn them out. We've got to be willing to ask God either grant repentance or grant justice. Lead them to repentance, Lord, or lead them elsewhere. Because their greatest need is repentance before a holy God so that they do not perish forever. So I will love people enough to pray that God convicts them of their sins and shows them the folly of their ways and causes them to just fall before God and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is love. Because I want them to experience the greatest thing possible, which is redemption in Christ. He scatters the proud. He dethrones the mighty. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Pharaoh is no more. Tiglath-Pileser, the leader of the Assyrians who carried Israel into exile, is no more. Nebuchadnezzar is no more. Saul is no more. The great kingdoms of past civilizations are no more. But the one that Mary celebrates, the one to whom she will give birth, was given a promise that he would have a kingdom that will endure forever. And my friends, if I'm sure of anything, I'm sure of this. That in the end, there is only one throne that will stand and only one person that will sit upon it. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was born through our sister Mary. So beware, beware, lest we get a little high in the horse, a little bit big in our minds, that we're reminded that the Lord exalts the one who humbles himself, but will humble the one who exalts himself. The rulers of our day may think they're mighty, but there's only one who is ultimately mighty, who will have an eternal reign. And then he fills the hungry. He's filled the hungry with good things. God is the one who takes care of his people. He feeds them. He comforts them. He provides for them. He guides for them. He protects them. He satisfies them. That's why we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We recognize we are dependent upon him to fill us physically and how much more than spiritually, which is why this same Jesus then said we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to us. And why Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they will be filled. Who can fill that void? Who can fill that need better than a son, a savior, who has come to deliver his people? But the rich, he sent away empty. You know, with the snap of a finger, God is able to take away the sordid gain of the rich. Or he can let them destroy themselves in the folly as they use those riches. Or he can bring them face to face with his holiness and his truth, and they can look at it and say, nah, I like my silver and my gold, just like the rich young ruler. And so today, we need to confront both the high and mighty and the low and humble with the gospel and say, will you not repent and believe? Will you not come to this Jesus who can give you eternal life? And some will look at it and say, no, I love my stuff, my good life, my riches. We can spend our lives running after the wealth of this world and find in the end we've lost it all. Or we can find true riches in Christ, imperishable gold that will endure unto eternity. Great is his power. And finally, great is his remembrance. God is the great helper of his people, and therefore his people are truly blessed. Mary cries out that he has been helpful in his mercy, helping his servant Israel. It's the promises given through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the prophets and now fulfilled in the one about whom they spoke. He has helped his people ultimately by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. He remembered God remembers his mercy. He remembers the promises he spoke to Abraham, to the, pro, to the fathers, and to his descendants. And because he remembered, and because he is merciful, those promises are coming to fruition. And Mary is catching just a glimpse of it. But she's praising God. 
Not only is he helpful in his mercy, but he is faithful to his word. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary, as she's crying out this shout of praise, remembers. We don't know the exact period of time, but when the angel appeared to her and said, you're going to bear birth to a son who will have an eternal kingdom. She confesses that here, the promise that God gave through Abraham forever. Now, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. We don't know exactly if she was there for the birth of John the Baptist or not. The text doesn't clearly say one way or the other. It just quickly switches from Mary leaving to the birth of John the Baptist. But in any case, in Luke chapter 1, we have a beautiful example of faith. Faith in the character of God, faith in the promises of God. This young handmaiden of the Lord knows that it is God and his power that has lifted her up and who will also lower those who think they are great. And all along she gives praises to the Lord knowing that she is in need of a Savior and that Savior will come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, she is blessed. And from now on, all generations will call her blessed. And we have now for 2,000 years because blessed is she who has believed the promise of God. Blessed is she who had the privilege of bearing the Son of God. So what are some lessons we can learn from our time with Mary this morning in Luke chapter 1? It is our duty and privilege to magnify the Lord with our whole being. With all that we are, we are to worship God because of all that he is and all that he has done. May this be your prayer. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then you begin to recount the things that God has done for you and the promises that he has given to you and that he will keep. Because the Lord lifts his people out of difficulty, as we see with Mary, we can trust him when we find ourselves in trying times. Because we will all be in trying times, one time or the other. We will all be in the valley. But we remember this, and Brian, I'm going to borrow something that you shared with me. When you're in the valley, that's not the destination. But God is with you, leading you to the destination, and he can lift you up. Thirdly, because the Lord is merciful to us and will be eternally grateful that he is, we are strengthened to be merciful to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who have been shown mercy, that they might be merciful. That's, it's a 360 application in all of our lives. Therefore, we can trust the Lord. Because what he has promised will surely come to pass. In God's mind, it's all in prophetic errors. It is all just as sure it's going to happen as if it's already happened. Therefore, we can trust him when he says it. It's kind of like we, we use in our own little colloquial language. If somebody says, will you go to the store and buy? And we'll say, consider it done. Well, here we have the ultimate. God saying, consider it done because in his mind it is done and he will bring it to pass for his glory. And lastly, to risk stepping on the toes of some political leaders. In light of the current situation in our culture, because the Lord looks upon the unborn as fully human, 
and worthy of dignity and protection, we will resolve to stand up for their right to live. I'm praying for the Supreme Court, as I trust you are, but my hope is not ultimately in the Supreme Court of the United States of America. My hope is in the Supreme Court of Heaven that has already declared the victory. Therefore, I will stand firm on what is right. I invite you to stand firm with me as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of this example of this young handmaiden who teaches us so much about what it is to believe you. Not just believe in you, but to believe you. And so, Father, help us to gap that difference between believing in you and believing you and acting according to your word. Father, thank you for the joy that we have of a sure word that will come to pass. We thank you for Jesus. May we celebrate him greatly this Christmas. And may we invite others along to join with us. In Jesus' name we pray. invite you to stand as we close out our service echoing what uh, Mary said in her in her song of praise as pastor shared with us and we're going to be exalting the great name of Jesus lost are saved find their way at the sound of your great name all condemned feel no shame at the sound of your great name every fear has no place at the sound of your great name the enemy he has to leave at the sound of your great name jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us the son of god and man you are high and lifted up and all the world will praise your great name. Although weak find their strength at the sound of your great name, hungry souls receive grace at the sound of your great name the fatherless find their rest at the sound of your great name the sick are healed the dead are raised at the sound of your great name jesus Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. 
the Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name, your great name, Redeemer, my healer, Lord Almighty. Defender, my Savior, you are my King. Redeemer, my healer, Lord Almighty. Defender, my Savior, you are my King. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. The Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. The Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. Your great name, your great name. Be in prayer this week for the concerts that will take place here. And the gospel will go forth and that his name will be made great. And pray for those two or three that you'd love to see come to faith in Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us go in peace. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Yeah. Uh-huh.